The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, taking our driving seriously, Ford News and Rumors and Oscar Meyer takes a stand. Plus, part two of our visit with Rick Humphrey, president of Michelin Raceway, and a whole bunch more informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Timothy Pasquale, a poster to the stars, need I even ask. Hey, Bud. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing great. I was going to ask you what you did last week. Well, I was mowing. Mowing. Okay. <laughs> never mind. It's fun, Bud. Do you have any cow- cows? No. I got chickens and goats. We don't have a cow yet. When you do, then you'll be able to be mooing and mowing. Mooing and, and mowing. mowing. That's, that's utter nonsense. Ah, sorry. <laughs> utter nonsense. Okay. Well, Tim, we've talked on the radio show about uh, what's going on, probably nationwide. Now, some of this came about uh, during COVID and stuff, is the speeds that some people are traveling on highways anymore. Mm-hmm. And more specifically to our little location in, in Gainesville, Georgia, we have some major roads where we've had some terrible accidents. One of them involved the sheriff deputy's entire family. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, somebody who was speeding and and T-boned them at over 150 miles an hour. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, I don't know what people are thinking or if they're thinking. So I thought it'd be a good idea to have Butch Miller come in from uh, Milton Martin Honda. And he's a car guy. He's been a car guy for a long time. And, you know, he he knows something about the legislative uh, world and, and, you know, we'd like to find out. the The article is was we have to change their behavior. That was the title of the article. First of all, I want to welcome Butch back into Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. Butch, uh, thanks Bud, for uh, delighted to be here. Thank you very much for including me, Tim. Good to see you as yeah, well. Good to see you again. Yeah. The article was entitled "We Have to Change Their Behavior." Your yes. your, your thoughts on on. You, you've read all this in the paper and stuff. What, what is your thoughts? How do we? We can't immediately flip a switch. Like you, you can't make everybody drive electric. You can't make everybody change their behavior. What did you go through to get your driver's license? Well, I went through uh, driving a truck on the uh, family farm, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Right. And, and you know, and I went through. Uh, you know, we we all drove the 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 family vehicle or the family truck on the on the farm or, or out in the country. And when we were kids, if you're my age, right. I mean, that's how you yeah. learn. Oh to drive. yeah, right, right, right. That, Thirteen, fourteen, or seven, or that's eight, right. or whatever that's right. it was. Yeah. There you go. That, that, that's exactly what what happened. That's exactly how we learned to drive. And then when we learned to drive, we we had um, mentoring and tutelage and uh, and modeling. Uh, and we there, and we had consequences when we got out of got out of line. So I think that there's a whole generation of people that don't appreciate the responsibility of uh, of owning and operating an automobile, and I think therein lies the problem. And the excessive speeds now, nine eighty five, four hundred, and some of these long straightaways. You know, you're going to have excessive speed, just like you're going to have it on I-16. You're going to have it on 95, 85, mm-hmm. 75. When you get in those remote areas, and interestingly enough, interestingly enough, the uh, 
fatalities are not most numerous in the most populated areas. Right. Yeah. Mississippi has the highest fatality rate of any state in the nation. Now, I mean, that, that is, which is bizarre to me because, I mean, they're way down the list when you talk about in we terms think of, of California and places like oh, that. Oh, yeah, we have yeah, a yeah, ton yeah. more people. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York, uh, even, you know, Georgia has a lot more people than Mississippi. But the, the, uh, the difficulty lies in, in my view, the, this personal sense of responsibility. Now, I would be, uh, uh, my, I'd look like Pinocchio if I tried to tell you I don't, uh, I haven't driven a car too fast. Obviously, we all have at one time or another. But, you know, we, we really focused on texting and driving, and that went from something that was uh, kind of accepted to something that is, you know, it's, it's, a, uh, it's forbidden. I mean, mm-hmm. people, people police each other on it now. But the difficulty is you, can, it's, you can't police somebody on, on driving too fast. I mean, you go down 985 or you go up 400, and, and the speeds are excessive. There is no question about it. And, they, and I'm afraid they'll continue to be until we put in some kind of measures that will slow it down. The, I think part of the issue is any, any car that you buy nowadays will go easily go 110 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't care if it's a three-cylinder. Well, I can remember uh, my friend had a uh, car when we were uh, kids. It was a Plymouth Fury. And I told this other friend of mine, who's much older than the two of us, I said, uh, Bobby's car really go fast. And he said, does Bobby's car go fast or Bobby drive it fast? And I thought, I mean, it didn't really Mm -hmm. register with me at the time. He just drove it fast, and right. that's just not necessary. No, and the the training that we have, um, some of these articles point out that recently they clocked a Ferrari at 178 miles an hour on 400. Okay, 178 miles an hour. Yeah, I know a Ferrari will do that. Yeah. But doing it on the Autobahn, where everybody else is doing it, is different than doing it where grandma's going 55 yeah. and looking, or, or through 35. Spokes, <laughs> looking through the spokes of the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, you know, that's the, uh, the closing rates, the, the capability of the car and the capability of the driver, uh, they don't always match. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's over 100 uh, fatalities in the U.S. every single day in automobiles. Mm-hmm. 100 fatalities a day. So that, that goes on day in and day out. And you know we've we can we have all these safety measures in our automobiles that we think it makes us invincible. You've got side airbags, you've got front airbags, you've got these elaborate headrests. I mean, you you have the shoulder harness, you have the seatbelt, and people think it makes you invincible, and it doesn't. It simply doesn't. No, we 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 mentioned on the broadcast we were doing that if you're in a NASCAR race car. And you're you're all going around the track with the same point in mind, mm-hmm. and you all have protective equipment, helmets, et cetera, et cetera, and all the cars weigh the same, all the vehicles weigh the same. You're not gonna you're not gonna meet a dump truck out there on the track, right? And you know that makes such a huge difference. People don't understand when we when we take a driver's test. I mean, when I was a kid. You know, when I was 15, I wanted to drive and got my nose pressed up against a local dealer's window looking at whatever new cars are coming oh, out. Yeah. I got them stuck on my walls and everything yeah. else. My, I learned to drive from my parents. Okay? Oh, yeah. But that didn't mean my parents were good drivers. 
Because my dad, you know. That's a great point. You know, my dad got his paid a nickel or something for his driver's license a million years ago and hadn't had to, you know, take any other kind of test. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had to at least drive on the highway to to take a road test. Here in Georgia, I took a motorcycle test, and it was on a little make-believe street that, you know, you're going so slow, it's hard to keep the motorcycle going. Oh, yeah. And it's got nothing to do with reality. Yeah. Uh, we have at the motor vehicle office. I, I noticed they, you know, they have some tractor trailers there, and people taking that particular test. I'm thinking, wouldn't a start be before you get a license? You got to, you know, know about other vehicles and vehicle dynamics and how long it takes to stop and how long it's going to take you to stop. And before you cut off of, uh, you know, an eighty thousand pound vehicle in traffic, mm-hmm. you need to understand that. That can kill you. Oh, absolutely. Or you can get away with it and kill the person you just cut off. That's that's so very true. And, um, you know, I think that as we go forward, there will probably be some need for continued education, updating of driver's license and so forth. For My uh, my grandfather was uh, getting his license renewed, and he was 90. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, so I said, Papa, do you, you think you really need a driver's license? I mean, he was never driving anymore. I mean, he was hardly ever driving. He said, oh, yeah, I'm going to get my license. I said, okay, all right. And, that, and, and I said, well, how long does it last? He said, 10 years. <laughs> I, said, I said, good for you. I'm glad you're optimistic. <laughs> but that time is going to come for all of us. That's right. You know, but, you know, I think that was, uh, that those laws have changed and, and that there's more updates now. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's very necessary and very important. No but from a legislative point of view, do mm-hmm. you ever see uh, photo enforced speed traps being? I'm not saying traps, yeah. but yeah. photo enforcement where it's not you don't have to look at your Waze app or talk on a CB or they're there taking your picture yeah. and you're going to get a ticket and that's going to slow everybody down. What, do you see that happening? Uh, Probably at some point in the future, but I have to tell you, that's kind of like the uh, the mileage uh, monitor on your car. People just don't want people that don't intrusion. want it. Right? They oh, yeah, they absolutely. Do, they do not want that yeah. intrusion. Now we already do that at school zones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, I think the schools should uh, share in that revenue, but they don't. But that's another st- a story for another day. But I think that uh, that the general public would be uh, very much against having. A photo cell uh, speed control, mm-hmm. where you drive by and it takes a picture of your uh, license plate and sends you the ticket. Right. And uh, of course, you know, you do that. They do that with parking. They do that with other things. Uh, but you know, I think that the, the, that the local uh, that legislators will have a difficult time passing that. Well, our, our our new cars have more computers in them than the space shuttle had. Okay. And if you go to court. They can they can tell you where your car has been. They oh, yeah. can tell you where the speeds have been. I get a I get a monthly update on you know maintenance on my car and and you know whether it's been past certain limits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that stuff can stand up in court. So I don't know why it's so hard to legislate. I, I went to court a few weeks ago for a, a property damage uh, uh, situation for my neighbor, and uh, I saw people that were DUI and speeders and whatever, and they mm-hmm. just kind of. Slap on the hand. Slap on the wrist. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it's all relative. You know, um, everybody wants leniency when they're in the courtroom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Everybody wants right, leniency right. and understanding and mercy and grace when they're in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, it's kind of like minor surgery and major surgery. It's, it's minor for you, for you, but major for me. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. for sure. But there's no, there's really this this guy that was going. Of course, the guy that was going, or the people that were going 150 miles an hour on this this crash that killed the deputy's uh, family. Family, you know, there no, nobody's no nobody's here from that wreck. That's right. Nobody's going to pay the price yep. uh, except the people that are left behind. Yeah. The, gr- the grieving family. Right. The what what should family. the price be if you're if you're a super speeder? You know, it's a thousand dollar fine. What I, do you do if you've I, got a Ferrari? Are you worried about a thousand dollar fine? Well, that, that's true. That's true, Bud. And I'm, I know you're asking that question rhetorically. I don't know what the what the uh, punishment should be, but I will say though that we have to have meaningful dialogue about it. And then after we have that meaningful dialogue, we have to have consequences. Because if you don't have consequences. The behavior will never change. Yeah, the striving thing is not a is not a right. That's correct. It's a privilege. Yeah, it, that's correct. It's a privilege, not a right. Well, we don't have the answers. You don't have the answers. <laughs> but, Tim doesn't have the answers. Nope. But you got to keep looking. But for you got to keep. You got to keep looking. You got to keep, keep the conversation yeah. going for yeah. sure. But it's been great being with you. And uh, I love you guys. I love hearing your podcast. Love you on the radio on uh, Saturdays. So we look forward to seeing you uh, again one day real soon. You're going to see us real soon. And, you know, we're just happy the FCC hasn't caught up with us. So <laughs> <laughs> Butch Miller, Milton Martin Honda here in Gainesville, Georgia, a good friend of car people. And, uh, you know, we, we just appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be here. You got that right, my friend. Have a great All right. day. All right. We'll see you again. Thanks, Al. Our next guest is Karen Nowakowski from Lanier Technical College. She is a program director of the Fire Science, Technology, and Emergency Management Systems. Welcome into Bud's Garage. Hi, hey, Karen. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is great to have you in here because we've talked about this program on the podcast and on the show before. How long How long have you been in vocational education? Were you at Lanier Tech when I was at Lanier Tech? In I was. So okay. I was there as a student, and then once I was really kind of finishing my degree, I ended up being a lab assistant for the previous program director, Tom Gaddy, mm-hmm. the late Tom Gaddy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was hired full-time. I think I've been there seven years, so I've hit my seven-year mark in August. Wow. We had Tim McDonald on the show with us, and, oh, okay. and, and he's another person that started as a student and worked his way through the ranks. And uh, so what, what are your plans for vocational education uh, now that you're into it? Well, that's a great question because, you know, when I started, you know, I spent my whole career in public safety and you always look for the next step, right? You always look to get promoted. And this is the first time in my entire career, whether it be public safety or really education, that I love where I'm at. Uh, You know, I'll never be able to fill the shoes of my dean, Beth Efner. She's fantastic. Um, But for me, what I see is continuing to grow our program. I love the relationships that I have. So I don't foresee me leaving my position anytime soon um, just because I feel like I'm really making a mark within our North Georgia territory. Oh, yeah. They do. You, the first responders around here are unbelievable. We're incredible. That, up well, here. So that's, that's why I'm here. What, what does fire science involve? A lot. It involves a lot. So it's it, a science, Yeah, Jim. it is. It is. Uh, that so, fire stuff is scientific. 
We're really, we have a, such an interesting program because we have degree programs, we have certificate programs, and also diplomas. So to start off, one of our largest portions of our program is a certificate program, a Firefighter 1, Firefighter 2 certificate. And that program is training entry-level persons to go into the field um, just as a basic Georgia firefighter. And so that certificate puts the students through over 400, of tra 400 training hours that are required by the state. Um, they take the same certification test that if you were to go to a fire department or a fire academy at the state level. Um, so we're putting them through a course that mimics the same programs at the state level. So, uh, excuse me, but does no. that give them an advantage when they do go to a county to Absolutely. apply? Okay. Absolutely. So it's really interesting because there are some departments that will hire our students right out of our program, and they put them through like maybe a two-week remedial program. And then there's some that um, have our students go through an entire recruit school. But what it's doing is it's a, we're like an insurance policy for the, for the departments around us. If a student goes through our program and they pass our program and they pass the state and national exams, it's really telling the departments that these students have been well-trained, mm -hmm. right? They're capable of passing the national exam, and they don't have to go into or they don't have to retake the exam. So it's just the cost of training goes down for that person, so they know that they're going to make it through the actual training, and they don't have to retest, and they're already certified. Wow, that makes perfect sense. I what? wonder if you have something like to teach my wife how to shut the stove off. <laughs> <laughs> make sure your candle's off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jody. Now, is there, were, were you a firefighter or EMT at, at some point now? Okay. I was. So I started my career in the Navy, and so okay. my first... Well, let me even start before that. I always wanted to be a paramedic, and I never became a paramedic. But my love for EMS started when I was really young. And so I never thought that I was going to be a firefighter until I joined the Navy. And we were required. I was at a bombing range. And we were required to get our red card for our wildland firefighting certificate. I had one fire, one fire in the Ocala National Forest, and I just knew that that was the route I wanted to go. So, you know, I spent four years in the Navy. I ended up doing a lot of radar and communications. And when I got out, I just didn't know anything about structural firefighting. And I ran into some people um, just on a random Sunday. They told me about the city of Alpharetta. And so that's where I started. I actually started off as a volunteer for the city of Alpharetta. And then I went part-time. But I knew that I wanted, I always said I wanted to go to the city of Atlanta. And uh, a lot of people were like, no way. You'll, you'll never make it through recruit school. I was like, well. Challenge accepted. Uh, there you go. Yep. And um, I did. I went to the city of Atlanta, and I retired early after 13 years when this position at Lanier Tech um, came open. It was just a really great opportunity, and I just couldn't pass up um, leaving Lanier Tech. So, yes, to answer your question, yes, I started. Um, I got my Firefighter 1. I have my EMS. I have my EMT Intermediate. I have Fire 1, Fire 2. I, I love hazmat, so I became a hazmat technician. So I was able to work my way up through the ranks, just like our students at Lanier Tech are doing in our certificate and degree programs. How long does it take for a student to come in and go through these different programs? I know there's different exit points. Right. But how long before they can come in and, and be a career EMT or paramedic or firefighter? So for the state of Georgia, in order to be a firefighter, you're only required to have Firefighter 1 and Hazmat Awareness. So we offer that program in 16 weeks. We can do that in eight weeks, but we choose to do it for 16 weeks because most of our students either have families or they're working full-time jobs, and so that works in their schedule. So we can really put a certified firefighter out in the field within 16 weeks. 
And that's them coming four days a week, um, you know, for four and a half hours a day, approximately. And then they're doing some online schooling. But then ultimately what we want them to have in the state of Georgia is Fire 1, Fire 2, which is another certificate. And that particular certificate is eight weeks. To go into further to that is North Georgia really is pushing to have EMT basics and advances. So if you were to go through the process, just your certifications and EMT, specifically with linear tech, linear tech it takes about a year and a half. And they're coming out with all the state and national certifications required to work in the state of a Georgia. A year and a half. year and a half. And you've That's got, just EMT, though. Yeah, but you've got a career that you can take nationwide. Well, what's really interesting is we have high school students that are coming out of, like, our we have a dual enrollment program at Hall County. They're being offered positions making in the mid-40s right out of high school because they went through our dual enrollment programs. Wow. It's, it's insane. And yeah. then they put them through, they may put them through an EMT school. They may have them go through EMT school at Lanier Tech. But we do. We have students that are coming in low to mid-40s going to to departments in our areas right out of high school. Before they graduate, they're being offered provisional job offers. Again, this is a, a question that's going to vary as far as the answers go, but what's the typical cost? Cost to go to our program? Mm -hmm. So it, once again, we are a program that has a high demand, so there are um, there's so many different financial aid you know, options. Sure. So we have the Hope Career Grant. And so what we're finding is most of my students, especially in the class that I have now, um, I would say probably 95% of them actually went to school at no cost and were receiving money back. Wow. And so, and the only reason that number comes into play is because we were doing some changes to get those students into firefighter too, and they all had financial aid. So, um, but between that, you know, we're $100 a credit hour and we're 15 credit hours in our program, yeah, add some fees in there, you know, we do the math. It's, it's not expensive to go to school, get your certification, and it really helps the students go ahead and get a job because we are. We are their insurance company. We're their insurance policy. Yeah, for sure. How deep does the hazardous materials part of the program go? It seems like that would be very difficult to learn and probably something that anyone might experience when you get out there with crashes and take for instance the train derailment up in ohio right you know where it was that was horrible well, so if, if you're a you know fireman having to respond there are so many different levels to be trained as a hazmat operator technician or you know whatever it is so for us we go into the hazmat operator position which really allows them to identify the hazard material we're able to Mitigate it to mitigate it to a point, but we do not at Linear Tech, just because of resources available, um, go past the hazmat operator um, certificate. But it's a lot of work, and that's hands down the hardest exam that my students take is I'm the sure. hazmat operator, and it's a national exam. Yeah, great, Karen Nowakowski, uh, program director of fire, fire sciences, technology, and emergency management. Programs from Linear Technical College. Check that out at LinearTech.edu. Well, as promised, Tim, we yes. now have Aaron Hughes in the house today from uh, Green Ford, um, General Sales Manager. Aaron, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? We're yeah, doing we're great. great. We're doing great. Well, better Good. now that you're here. Nice. Yeah. What's going on at the dealership? Good to see you. Uh, we got all kinds of stuff going on at the dealership. Lots of new cars and used cars, uh, and good stuff right now. We've got a lot of good used cars in stock, which is nice. Uh, used cars and trucks. Been busy, busy, mm -hmm. busy fall. Well, that's that's a good thing. Um, 
I read this report, and I, I hadn't even thought about it, but uh, Ford hybrid trucks accounted for 77% of the overall market so far in 2023 because mm-hmm. they have two hybrid trucks. They have the F-150. And the Maverick. The F-150 Power Boost and the Ford Maverick. Yes, yes. Uh, the F-150 Power Boost is, is a great uh, a great engine. I, I really enjoy it because it's it's got the 3.5 EcoBoost twin turbo engine, which they have in the trucks, but basically the way it works is there's an additional electric power unit that powers all the onboard, um, as well as works as a hybrid uh, engine, which gives it tons of torque if you're towing or hauling anything. It's it's a great engine. I really like it, uh, and gives you all the extra gas mileage too. Well, and and the same with the hybrid, or yeah. the, the hybrid, the Maverick. The Maverick. Well, the Maverick gives you huge. I mean, it's like 42 miles, 44 miles to a gallon. Um, that's you know that's the true hybrid uh, engine, and on a, a small chassis, so that one really works well for us. And you can also get uh, the Maverick either way. You have your choice of you know hybrid you or do, yeah. gasoline. You do, um, and the only uh, the only thing that affects that choice is the gasoline engine has a little more towing capacity, which is a small truck. But if you go with the uh, all-wheel drive gasoline version, you you, you get a four thousand pound towing capacity, whereas it's two thousand with the hybrid. But the chassis and everything's the same. What? Uh, yeah, For but lot, it's great. Yeah. yeah, a lot of folks that get a small truck, they don't expect to tow it. No, no, you, you tow your lawnmower, you know, a little yeah, little right. land, single-axle landscape tra- trailer. It's great, but with that kind of fuel mileage, it's worth, uh, you know, the Maverick people are not, uh, you don't buy a Maverick for towing things unless it's no. very small. You, you buy the Maverick uh, for hauling things and just the convenience of having it, but the, and the fuel mileage with the hybrid is fantastic. Now, the Power Boost F-150, the, yeah. the electric portion of that is a no-cost option, basically, right? It's, it's built into the truck. It is. Actually, there, there's an additional rebate on those engines right now. So um, uh, it's an extra 1900 bucks off of the truck if you have the hybrid motor. Wow. So uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great value right now. How's your They've got a lot of them in the market. How's your supply? Uh, very good. We have tons of F-150s right now. It's been great. Um, and and uh, still still continuing to be the number one selling truck in America. They they do it well. Maverick, you got some uh, you got some of those in the house. I've got a couple Mavericks in stock. It's hard to get Mavericks because all of our Mavericks that come in are generally uh, ordered for people. Mm-hmm. So if they don't take them, um, then then they'll become for sale. We don't have any that just come in for stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, that's been such a high item for the, what three years since it's been out. Well, I can see we still don't have you know. anywhere we can just have them for stock. So if we do have them in stock, it's usually one that somebody ordered and, and uh, elected not to take. Now I've, I know I've harped on this before while you were, you know, with us. Do you see? It seems to me like Jim Farley is is a, is changing his tone about everything in the planet being electric in the next ten years. Yeah, that that's been a big. I mean, that's pretty big news. I think overall, Ford has realized that uh, in the world of Ford, uh, maybe electric might not be the best. Uh, everything for us you know mm-hmm. um and when you're dealing it's a real tough line to walk i think for ford because you deal with such a big commercial uh side and super duty side of vehicles and heavy duty side you know and and all those are going to be diesel engines even gas and diesel engines um so the electric uh, you know obviously they're trying to have a little bit of an electric niche there but i i really feel like and we've talked about it on this show for years hybrid really is kind of the way to go oh absolutely. and i think that ford is starting to realize you know they made such a huge push and, and a lot of that has to do with government legislation in that mm. um on electric but now i think they're finding the consumer themselves really have 
have more interest in, in both. You know, they don't, they don't really want the electric anxiety, but they want the better fuel mileage. Right. Um, and really, you're, we're finding the all-electric vehicles, uh, really in some of, the, some of the states that have a high amount of electric vehicles, we're finding out the cost isn't that great because the cost of energy has gone up so much in those areas. So, you know. Now, I think the, 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 you bring up a good point, the range anxiety thing. Most people, you know, if you, if you look at their daily drives and, and they really looked at them honestly, most people would not out, not outdrive the range of their vehicle on a daily basis. No, that's but correct, it's, yeah. it's a it's a psychological thing. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, it is. And, and if you're doing any kind of traveling, I mean, anybody that comes in asking about them always asks about going on a beach trip, always ask about traveling. How do I do this? Mm-hmm. Even if they only do it a couple times a year, it could be a huge inconvenience if all you have as your primary vehicle is an electric vehicle. Right. Um, so, so that is a real thing. Also, when you get into the world of trucks, like we were talking about, which Ford is definitely the world of trucks, uh, if you have an electric F-150 and you decide, hey, I'm going to tow an 8,000 pound trailer well that changes your range dramatically depending on where you're towing it and where we live here you know it's pretty mountainous area all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you can go from a 300 mile range to having a hundred mile range now you got to really pay attention what's going on right you know okay so well the 2024 mustangs are out they're all over the magazines they are okay they're awesome too i really dig them well i know you do and and the, the your favorite at least what you've expressed in the past is your favorite is the Mustang EcoBoost Fastback. You know what? It's funny. It still is. I, I mean, the Dark Horse is amazing. It's really, really cool. I love the new interior on the Mustangs. I like the look of the bodies as well. The new interior has this, this screen that when you look at it where you have all your gauges and stuff, it almost wraps around halfway around the car and kind of, I don't know how to describe it over the radio, but kind of points at the driver. It's it's really cool wrapped around uh, effect. The interior is just beautiful on him. Um, but I love the, I've, I've always loved the four-cylinder uh, with the turbo because you can really use the car. And I know, um, I think you had Randy Pope's on talking about yep. how with that four-cylinder, you can really, really wring its neck and have a good time with it. Whereas when you get into some of these cars that have so much horsepower, especially with street tires, you're unable to use that horsepower. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've got an EcoBoost uh, Mustang on the lot and they look great. They're uh, obviously a, a lesser expensive, but they drive just wonderfully. I, I like them. I like them a lot. My only concern with the EcoBoost four-cylinder, mm-hmm. they got a 10-speed automatic in it. Yep. You cannot get a straight shift in it. No, you cannot. That's a car that you need um, a straight shift in. So yeah, you go up in the uh, they, and, and they've changed that. We've been able yeah, to no, have that on, in, the, in the past. Um, so that is, that is a new thing. So, um, yeah, we, we, it's funny because car guys like that. But we very rarely have demand for them. Right. So, I mean, if you look at the amount of EcoBoost Mustangs we've had with a handshaker in them in the last several years, they a lot of times they're very, very difficult to sell. Because mm-hmm. people that are, that are buying the four-cylinder are not. It's sort of like convertible people. People that have convertibles and people that buy the four-cylinders are not people that are looking to use the handshaker. That's generally going to be your uh, Mustang GT-type people. Uh, really, right. horsepower. Yeah. Not you knuckle-draggers. Yeah. You know, no. Thank that you. That sort thank of you, thing. Thank you. Yeah. Well, the GT, you can get it either way. The GT, the fastback, you can get that either way. Yes. Um, and the 10 speed, the 10 speed is a great tranny. It I got is. it in it my really truck. Is. It's yeah. great whether it's behind a four cylinder or whatever. Yeah. And the guys that tested this thing, you know, for the magazine said that, you know, the, the automatic worked great. It shifted when it was yeah. supposed to. And it does. And it has all the different drive modes as well, like, like they've had. Um, on, well, on most of the Ford vehicles will have, you know, your sport drive mode, your eco modes, all those kind of things. Okay. Yeah. 
So we got the GT, now we got the Dark Horse. Tell us about the Dark Horse. Okay, the Dark Real Horse important. is going to be, uh, you know, your 500-horsepower uh, V8 engine. Uh, that's basically the big deal. That's where you still have your Magnaride suspension that the pre- previous uh, Mustangs have had. It's got the Tremec transmission. It's great. It's Everything about it looks great. It sounds great. It feels great. On the new Mustangs, if you're ever looking at them on the lot, look on the rear windshield, or on the, on the rear window, rather. Um, it's pretty neat because they've etched all of the previous body styles as a little homage into the back window but it's kind of like a little nugget you got to look for but it's pretty cool too um and they're doing that on the dark horse as well it's great and you know you can get them with the brembo brake packages and and all kinds of great stuff um yeah you can run them up uh, you can run them up over 60 grand oh you can ask me how i know how do you (laughs) know bud (laughs) i know how interested you are in these patents at Ford. I am. It's one of my favorite segments. <laughs> and, they fi- and they file some different kind of patents uh, on, a, on a pretty regular basis. Uh, this one that we have now is a patent that outlines ideas for an external airbag to help prevent damage in case of a rollover accident. Okay, I'm good with that. And an external airbag to help protect pedestrians and bumper-mounted airbags. Yeah. Okay, your I take. saw this too. <laughs> well, the pedestrian one, what I like about this, I'm going to try to describe this the best I can to the listener, is the drawing, you have to picture <laughs> an automobile, and if you took the hood off and you replaced it with a hood that looked like Swiss cheese, that would be kind of how the fundamental uh, structure of the hood works, and then the airbags blow out of the center of it, it looks like. I don't know. Uh, whether, yeah, or, I can't, or if it's multiple airbags that come out of the holes. Um, now, obviously, the hood itself, that would not look like that. I'm sure it would be some sort of thin skin or something. The hood was metal, and then they drill all these holes in it, and the airbags come out through it. Must be. Like Jiffy Um, Jiffy Pop. But looking at at the, uh, yeah, that's exactly right, but looking at the uh, diagram, it's outstanding. It's pretty pretty hilarious. Um, I think if you're going to have an airbag on the outside of the car, um, I don't know how it would work where the, you know, it it would protect protect the pedestrian, but reading the article, it, it seems like Wow, what a, what a neat idea! Any any time, I mean, I'm sure it would probably help with deer and things like that. That's too. what I was thinking. And, deer. And right where I am, there right. the other night, I was you know in Murrayville area, I was coming around the corner, and there were 25 deer in a yard. I stopped and counted. I couldn't believe it. It wow. was like a herd of deer, and and I mean, every night you worry about you know stopping and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I could see where with deer or something like that, it's it's an interesting idea. But I always get a kick out of these uh, these patents but that get filed. What do you do with it after it's inflated? That I have no idea. Yeah. I, I don't know what you the deer, the deer are stunned. You know, yeah. yeah, everybody's stunned. Don't slam that hood. The deer, yeah. I, I don't know what happens with it. Uh, after that. It looked like a marshmallow car, I guess. I don't know. Okay. You used to spend, you've spent a ton of time in, in Bud's garage, the, mm-hmm. real, the actual real garage. The real garage. But as Mo- a, as both a, of them. As a youngster, you spent a lot of time at the drag strip, too. I did, yes. We now have a verified 300 mile per hour mile per hour pass in the eighth mile, Ooh. and they're wondering if this is going to kill quarter mile racing. Uh, Mike Salinas hit 300 miles an hour in the eighth mile at the Carolina Nationals. That's incredible. Now that's, that you know, is incredible. 2.9 seconds. Yeah, yeah. So that's, they, you know, they NHRA went to thousand foot tracks. Yes, they did after uh, Scott Coletta's uh, death. 
Uh, but it was a big deal for top speeds to be 200s in the 60s. Yeah. And 300 in 1990, uh, in the 1990s. Uh, I remember the first time there was a 300-mile-an-hour pass. And yeah. then I also remember when there was a 330-mile-an-hour pass. Right. And and then they you know not long after that shortened shortened the length of the drag strip. But I can't believe eighth mile. That's unbelievable. I mean, it's just astonishing. But are people gonna are people gonna get away from drag racing because seeing something? I mean, it suits my attention span two point nine seconds. But <laughs> right. you know, a, a whole part of the the thrill of that was seeing those cars go past you. I mean, this car wasn't even be past you by the time it hit the eighth mile. <laughs> if you depend on where you were sitting, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Watching it go down to the end of the track, and yeah. you know the chutes come out and all. I realize the shutdown areas. The cars got so much faster, and they were and they were leaning. You know, they were they were trying to hit four hundred. But a lot of these tracks were built back in the fifties and sixties. That's right. Yeah, that's and they don't right. have the real estate. Right. No. And uh, yeah, I mean it's something else. I, I can't even believe they can do it. It's just amazing. Wow. Many of the tracks where dragsters went past 385. This is speed now, not not elapsed time. Right. And the, you know, were built when 200 was a dream. So. That's right. Do you That's know right. when Kenny Bernstein first turned uh, 300? I remember there was a picture on the garage wall. It was 301 point something or other. Gator National. had yeah. to be had to be early 90s. 1992. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Bam, look at that memory. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he was there with the... Well, I remember Kenny Bernstein running funny cars, too, though, so... Yeah, well, that, was, know, a, that was a little bit of a There's a whole story, story behind that. How, right? how that went away, yeah. That's, a, that's, a great, that's <laughs> actually a great story. That'll be for another day. I was just wondering now, what are the crews going to do between rounds? You know, in an eighth mile, are they going to tear the car all apart again? Because it's well, not going to be as hard to, on the parts. But you would think, I mean, you would think 300 miles an hour, it doesn't matter if you go in a few extra feet, surely it destroys the whole engine. I mean, yeah, I'm sure, they can't reuse an engine. Yeah. I mean, they rebuild the entire engine every every. I would think it's going to change every the, time it goes down the track. It's going to change the viewing area. Oh yeah, you know yeah. everybody's going to want to be an, I, at the top part of the track. But I mean, if you yeah. look at drag strips, the where the finish line is, there's never been seating at the finish lines. It's no. always prior to that. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how much it'll change really. I, it's just astonishing. Uh, yeah, it's there astonishing. It's just <laughs> that, that was absolutely crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, I used to joke about a lot of things when I was teaching high school. Uh, but one of the things I used to tell my kids at East Hall was, I used to be a stealth fighter pilot until I parked two of them and lost them because I couldn't see them. <laughs> uh, so, I know that's a stretch, Tim. Yeah. But tell us about this F-35B. Well, you know, actually, it happened and all of a sudden we hadn't heard a whole lot about right. it. Right. It happened. It's a $100 million In South fighter. Carolina. And they couldn't find it for about 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what, there's very little information out there about this, yeah. but the pilot ejected for some reason. Uh, he evidently thought there was a problem. Or the seat thought there was a problem. Oh, right. They what, said there have sur- been. Surprise, surprise. There have been a lot of electrical problems with this particular aircraft. And uh, the. It's a vertical takeoff aircraft. Right. The 35B. The B, yeah. But it's $100 million. Right. That's a lot of money. You know, what what insurance company offers insurance on something like that? And my question for you, Aaron. Yes. You you paint some amazing helmets, airbrush helmets and stuff for different folks. That's a little hobby I have. Yeah, Yeah, I enjoy it. And, you you know, I've shown pictures. I I need to post a picture of my helmet. That's what I'll do 
um, this week. I'll, I'll post my helmet picture. Okay, good. Right? It is so cool. The helmet for this car, this car, this jet fighter, is four hundred thousand dollars. Oh, I saw this article. Four hundred thousand yeah, dollars for a helmet. For a helmet. What is in a helmet like this? It must have. It must. Everything must be on the shield and stuff. Mm-hmm. Four hundred thousand dollars. Wow, that's a lot of money. Mm. Okay. I have no idea what's in a four hundred thousand dollars. No. I hope he didn't bang it up when he bailed out. Really? You know, you don't want to whack it on anything. I'd want a, I'd want a helmet airbag. So <laughs> yeah, maybe it's got a helmet airbag. That might, it might, for that kind of money, it really should. It should, yeah. So yeah, it, really it, so it clears the cockpit and everything yeah. when you come out. Sure. Then you can bounce on your head, and you know, mm-hmm. everything's good. Four hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Well, meanwhile, apparently, uh, the Russians shot down one of their own ninety-seven million dollar uh, jet fighters last week. Also, hmm. unfortunately for the pilot, yeah, uh, he did not eject. No, and, and the uh, friendly fire. Wow. Serious, serious stuff. But I, you know. So I guess it wasn't so stealthy. No, apparently not. Apparently not. And did not. I didn't think about that. And they shot down their own stealth fighter. How did they do that? Go figure. Huh. That's your homework. Okay. We need to know how the stealth fighter jet got shot down by the Russians if it's Vladimir, stealth. I think I made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. Oh, my. Yeah, I'll figure I, that out. Hopefully they're not listening in Russia today. No. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Well, Aaron, thanks for hanging around. Oh, you're how, welcome. How can folks learn more about all the stuff going on at Green Ford? I can't get a $400,000 helmet. We cannot. No. Uh, check out greenford.net for all our latest uh, deals. Come on down to Browns Bridge Road here in Gainesville or give me a call at 770-532-5620. And next month. We're going to talk about <laughs> another patent that's been applied for by Ford. Um, I'm not, I'm, that's a tease. I'm okay. not going to tell anybody. All right. All right. All right. Oh, can't good. wait to hear the rest. Tim, we've been talking about the pulley systems from Concept One since we started doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. You oh, and yeah. I don't have to scrounge the junkyards looking for pulleys and right. parts and all that for the junk we work on. Exactly. Except for the Mack truck. Well, they don't have a Mack truck. No. System yet. <laughs> right. But, but hey, the future is looking bright. Well, yeah, well, I'm just saying. The, the, the pulley systems they do have are for the real popular hot rods, you know, mm-hmm. the Fords, the Chevys. I was asking them last time I was there, you got any Pontiac Rosen? He said, you know, really, we don't have the call for it. Right. Because people are building the, you know, and you know what the popular engines They're LS are. and everything. Well, LS is the next step that we need to talk about. They've got pulley systems. Again, they've got the victory systems. They've got the you know the street driven systems mm-hmm. and uh, everything in between. Right. You know, as far as choosing your pumps, your power steering pump, your compressor, uh, the LS engine has some of the accessories mounted up high, mm. uh, and some are some are in the way of things if you're trying to put it in something other than you know a Chevrolet or what right. it was made to be put in. So they have moved the compressor and done some things to allow you to put these into other vehicles. And the best thing to do is to give them a call, tell them what you're doing, mm-hmm. and they'll give you the price points on not only the system, right. the finish you want to put on the system, whether it's uh, polished, satin, clear, mm-hmm. black, uh, great stuff. Oh, yeah. And you know what? It what? fits. Oh. When you put it on, it fits. What a concept. That's the best part. I mean, the spacers, the, the pulleys, everything just fits. Right. So they've, they've done their homework like you do sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
they've done their homework, and they got some other systems we're going to talk about in future weeks for LS for these guys that are supercharging them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got some crazy stuff. Man. So check them out at conceptone.com, and don't be afraid to call them. They want to help you with your next project, right. and they want to make sure it's right and it does what you want it to do. Okay. Concept one, don't, don't even look any, anywhere else. Right. So, Tim, last week we had a very enlightening part one discussion with Rick Humphrey, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, and we ended up with uh, Talladega Enfield. Oh, yeah. Yeah, different times. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, Woodstock with stock cars going around right. on, on, on the track at the same time. Uh, this week's discussion is going to tame down a little bit and kind of give us what we've seen stock car racing morph to now as far as personalities, cars, sponsors, money, all of that kind of stuff. So here's where we're going to pick up. Okay. But, you know, they they almost had to be those events had to take place as it evolved into what it is now. Well, and again, I don't know all the history of what all took place and, and what kept um, race teams afloat back in the day. I mean, you know, Junior Johnson's uh, legend of, of, of running moonshine and spending sure. time in in Ohio in prison is, is, is legend and uh, being pardoned by President Reagan. Um, you know, he uh, that's how he got his start. And, you know, so uh, motorsports has certainly evolved mm-hmm. over the last 75 years. Yeah, I think there's a political correctness to it now that it's become more co- corporate. I mean, you see it in, in listening to interviews with drivers and stuff. You know, they're, they're prepped for interaction with the, the media now. Uh, didn't have the same filters when you were in the media. Yeah, not to the same extent, but there's always been a there's always been a desire, a need to take care of those who are paying the bills. You know, and yeah. so uh, you know, when, you know, like right now we have Motul as a sponsor um, uh, for Petit Le Mans, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. We just didn't hang the name on it because we like Michelin tires. I mean, right, they're yeah. they're our sponsor. They help the they help the place go, and so. Uh, Motorsports has always been an industry that has leaned heavily on corporate involvement, and, and part of uh, part of, of corporate involvement is making sure that you uh, portray the right right uh, personality, the right character, and um, and how does it match up to what that that corporation's message is? And motorsports is a little different from that standpoint than 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 other sports, you know. Uh, one of the things that is interesting in, uh, you take stick and ball sports, you take the Braves, the Falcons, uh, the Hawks, um, they have a fan base, they have a local fan base. And you take, uh, and they'll go see baseball, for example, 81 games a year, uh, uh, before our Braves make the playoffs and extend that season, which is always good. But, um, you know, you take a, a, a Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, a Talladega Super Speedway, you've got, uh, Talladega, for example, you got two big events a year, you know, so you don't have that local team that's playing 81 games that gets that fan base. So your your fan base is coming from from all over, and um, so I guess where I'm going with that is from when you have those stick and ball, their sponsorships, their uh, corporate involvement is more from the team standpoint, not necessarily uh, the Freddie Freemans of the world, the Dansby Swansons of the world, right. where on our side, we've got corporate involvement, corporate partnerships coming from 
every direction, basically. And so that's the way our sport has grown. That's the way our sport has evolved, and that's what makes our sport sport go. When did you see, we've all been to the local stock car races, and they got the mom and pop painted on the side of the car or whatever it was. When did you see the change go from the mom and pop to the, the more corporate stuff? And then in your, in your position, you're seeing it go international. Is, is that happening with all forms of racing, or is it just with the road racing? Or where, where has it morphed from, and where is it going to? That's a great question. I think uh, where it's going to, um, I, I'm not, I don't know that anyone knows. I know there's certainly a desire and, and a wish and a hope that it, that it continues to grow. And, and if that involvement um, you know, takes it international, so be it. it. Certainly road racing, I think, lends itself a little bit more to international partnerships just because of the connection to Lamar, uh, the connection to the various drivers that participate in our sport in the different countries that they represent. So uh, certainly um, the IMSA side of the business probably lends itself a little bit more to, to international uh, uh, sponsorships and, and partnerships. Now, this is, this is kind of off in left field, but F1 under Bernie. And F1 now, have you seen, it seems to me that F1 has, has really gained some traction with, you know, in the States with people watching F1. Uh, it used to be just the diehard racers that watched F1. Now, now it seems like some of these names are, are common, you know, when you start talking about drivers and that. What, what affected F1 or what has affected road racing? You know, NASCAR is part of IMSA and how, how does that, change the dynamic so to answer the f1 question um certainly what has happened and what took place at coda last fall and the size crowd that they had i was in daytona recently in some meetings and uh uh, of various promoters and the gentleman from coda gave some figures that were just astronomical and it costs it costs a lot to put put those events on as i understand but the numbers that they were that they were reporting and saying were just through the very very uh, eye-opening, for lack of better words. And everyone attributes uh, a lot of that success to the Netflix series that is, is out there. And oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll be honest, I uh, have never been one to follow Formula One uh, much, if any, and I have not seen the series, but I understand it's really a, a good series. That it's pits. very eye-opening. Yeah, yeah and, and it's... Some episodes, yeah. And it's... Uh, but certainly they're given given a lot of credit to that series and of course now they're going to um uh going to be in Miami in May um so they're going to have a race a Formula 1 race in, in Miami and so it'll be interesting to see how that's in, embraced and and I hear ticket sales are going great for that race so uh, Formula 1 is certainly uh you know and and I've also read that there's consider, consideration for something in the streets of Las Vegas so um I'm a believer that uh Motorsports interest grows motorsports fans. So if you're an F1 fan, a NASCAR fan, an IMSA fan, and there's more of it, I think there's an opportunity that you will continue to to gain fans, to gain interest. Um, and, you know, who's to say if an F1 fan, you know, going through the TV and sees an IMSA race that all of a sudden, you know, we can transition them into also being an IMSA fan. When I was at Talladega, George Barber announced that he was building Barber Motorsports Park, and, and it was going to be a, a racetrack uh, within 
probably it's within 30 miles, 40 miles of, uh, of Talladega. And my comment then, and my comment still to this day is that, you know, there's room for, at that time, there was room for both. I mean, because the more motorsports you have in the community, the, the more you, the more engagement that you, you have the chance to get. Yeah, and especially on the NASCAR side now, the, the local short tracks and stuff, that that has kind of dried up to, to a large extent. And so, like you say, you have an IMSA race, you have an F1 race, or you have a NASCAR, and they're all, you know, in the same proximity. It, it's just better for the, the whole sport of racing, if you will. Agreed. I think it's just uh, it's good for the motorsports industry as a whole. Ah, okay. Yes, so... The business that you're in is not always easy trying to be a family man with the traveling and uh, some of the things that you have to do. How does that affect your family and and your family life? Interesting uh, and a great question. Um, So one of the reasons in 96 I I desired the Talladega job uh, was to get off the road. So I had been on the road since 93 and realized that uh, it, it's a it's a tough life. It's a uh, you know you always say, man, if I could just get a job where I got to go to all those races, oh, that'd, yeah. be, that'd be a dream job. And then you realize you got to go to all the races. <laughs> yeah, I describe it as I got to see and continue to get to see a lot of neat places across the country, and even even I've been to Europe a couple times. But I've also seen some places that without a racetrack, I would have had no desire to be there or go. I mean, you know, <laughs> let's just be honest. And so in 96, when the opportunity came up at Talladega, I realized it was a way to stay in the sport and stay and not have to travel as much. So, um, you know, at that time, it was only going to Daytona and Arlington and helping out there. So I was traveling, you know, five, six weekends a year. And uh, so... Uh, I actually had a had a failed marriage during during that time, and so I don't know that that contributed, but it certainly didn't didn't help being mm-hmm. being gone. And then uh, uh, in in 2002, I, I got married, and we began having kids in 2005. And by that time, I was already off the road and 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 working at a racetrack where you know you had several big big weekends a year. Uh, I will say now it's. Uh, you know, at Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, it's a challenge because, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, things are happening every weekend at the racetrack. And I have three kids, 16, 14, and 11. And, oh, by the way, one's a baseball player, one's a cheerleader, the other one's a basketball, softball player. Um, so guess when they play? They play on the weekend. On the weekend, And guess right. what? You know, they're, they're not always in town. And so it's not uh, – so it, it's a – it's a it's a it's a challenge, but I've been fortunate to have support where you know they get it and they understand and and uh, and I certainly do everything I can to get to as much stuff as as I as I possibly can. Do your children like motorsports? My wife and I made a comment the other day. Um, so she, one of my kids pointed out, and maybe my youngest. I can't. We were watching the Rolex Twenty Four on TV, and she said, um, "Hey, Dad, is that is that is that where you were?" Is that is that where you you've been this week? And and then another one gets in the car. I picked her up Saturday night, and uh, and she said, uh, "Hey, so Dad, why were you down in Daytona? Were you planning the event? Were you in meetings?" So they're starting to ask questions, and they're getting ready to leave the house here in a couple of years. You know, going off to college or whatever. So they, I try. I have tried probably too much to 
not incorporate them in what I do. Uh, and, and I don't know if that's the right way or the wrong way. Um, you know, because I, I wouldn't mind if they got into motorsports, but also know, you know, when you're in the motorsports business, it is weekends. It is, oh, yeah. it's not nine to five. It is, it's a grind. And it's, uh, even on the promoter side, it can be, it can, it can force you to miss a lot of stuff as a family person. Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife made that comment when I said, Hey, I said, uh, uh, my, my middle child, Caroline, I said, Caroline's starting to you know, ask questions about, about racing. And then she goes, and she made the comment about how, uh, they haven't, they haven't been to the track a lot. They don't, they don't come out there a lot because either A, they're at, uh, cheerleading, basketball, softball, or baseball, or, um, I, I just haven't right or wrong and said, Hey, why don't y'all come out this weekend? Yeah. So, that's interesting because, you know, when I was teaching in the, at the technical college and involved in motorsports before then and after that, it started with drag racing and, and being around that sport a lot. Uh, my kids didn't want to necessarily go to a race or something with me in the later years because they, they didn't have much of me once I got there because there were so many people that, you know, I interacted with or interacted with me. And I would imagine that, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough deal for you, especially if it's a race. You'd probably be better going to a race at a different track where you're not involved in the management. But if you try to do something where you're, you know, you're the honcho and everybody wants an answer from you, you don't get a, a whole lot of family time. Well, and, and yeah, they, they understand that when they have been out or they are able to come out, they understand that typically my wife will take them and they'll go some, mm-hmm. you know, go somewhere and watch or, or be, be a part of it in a different way rather than than be beside of me but our our i would say our family passion is is baseball um from the standpoint of uh my 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 son plays and then my my middle child she can i mean she can rattle off brave statistics she absolutely that's cool she loves baseball and i see her uh i see her carving out a career hopefully in baseball baseball. Mm -hmm. um and then my youngest she is uh She's very much, um, while she plays sports, she's very much into drama and, and loves the uh, singing and the acting and, and that type of stuff. So she, she's one that keeps us on her toes, and she is. So she's the kid that, that she's not afraid to try anything. Right. And she also has the talent that they want to keep her around, you know. So, so she's not the best on the team, and she might not be the best in the play or the best in, best in the chorus, but she's good enough to, and so that keeps us moving around to, to various things supporting her. So it's, uh, it's fun. I mean, for lack of better words. The road from Talladega Super Speedway to Michelin, Michelin Raceway, Road Atlanta, was Road Atlanta when you got here. How did that, how did that transition happen? So that was a, that was a three year, four year stop in Birmingham at Barber Motorsports Park. So I, uh, so, interesting story. In, in 2010, um, I got asked to, to go to leave Talladega to go to Daytona to take a, a corporate position within ISC. And I was going down to work for a gentleman by the name of Joey Chitwood, and Joey of the Chitwood Thrill Show fame. Um, uh, so I go down to, to, uh, to work for him, and it was more in a uh, corporate operations role uh, with the racetracks. And when I get down there, uh, one thing we got down there in April, and by uh, mid to late summer, there was some rumblings going on and, and some things happening, and uh, they um, they they made a change over across the street at the speedway, and the the president they uh, he moved out, 
Chitwood went in to run Daytona, and so that left me without a boss. And then they they made a change where the guy who had asked me to go to Daytona, he was no longer with the company. So um, the writing was was on the wall, and I got the message shortly thereafter that um, that there was some reductions being made, and that my uh, not only was my job being eliminated, the whole whole department was gone. So uh, so they um, I stayed there through November of 2010, I guess it was, and ended up back in Birmingham working for Zoom Motorsports, which is the promoter at Barber Motorsports Park. Um, uh, actually, it's a golf company called the Bruno Event Team. This happened to have a, a motorsports arm. So I stayed there for uh, till 2014 till I came here. So over there, they had uh, IndyCar races. They had uh, a huge, huge vintage motorcycle event. Uh, they had uh, AMA, Moto America at the time, um, and uh, just typical business like we have here at Road Atlanta. A lot of track day stuff, a lot of Chin Motorsports, um, some motorcycle racing through Wira, SCCA. Uh, the Porsche Sport Driving School is a big customer over right. there, and so they're on track quite a bit. So um, so that's what I did for, uh, ran that department uh and the promotions at, at, <clears throat> at Barber for several years. And then in 2014, the opportunity came up to, uh, to come actually take a role with a division of IMSA called IMSA Properties. At that time, the president of, of Road Atlanta and Sebring, as well as the hotel down at Sebring, they were all reporting to Scott Atherton. And at that time, Scott was busy in his role, uh, having come from ALMS and, and trying to run IMSA that the properties were not um, were not getting a lot of Daytona involvement, not getting a lot of uh, which was fine, which was fine for the tracks, I'm sure. But so they created this position, vice president of Emerson Properties, and um, and reached out and and uh, asked if I was interested, and I was. And uh, due to the fact that I had moved my family to Daytona one time before and it didn't work out, I was like. Uh, is there some place we can go and have this position besides besides Daytona? And so they said, yeah, you could be based at at Road Atlanta in Brazelton if you would like. And so that's how it came about. And so I did that position from uh, the fall of 2014 until the spring of 2020 um, as part of COVID and uh, some things that were going on with our company, uh, NASCAR and ISC becoming one entity. And um, uh, Jeff Lee, who was great, great promoter, great track president, had been in the role for, for more than 20 years. Um, he decided it was uh, to take an opportunity that was presented to him, and, and he left the company. And um, and so just made the most sense for me, already being positioned uh, at at uh, Road Atlanta with my office and everything. And so uh, they, they said, this is what you're going to do, and you're going to go back into being a, a track president general manager. And uh, had no had no heartburn with that at all. I've been here before, and uh, you know, is, is it different? All tracks are different. Um, at the end of the day, you're promoting motorsports. At the end of the day, you're you're making sure that uh, uh, you're bringing in more money than you're sending out, and that's what it's all about. <laughs> running the business. <laughs> let's let's bounce back to Barber Motorsports Park for a minute. Were you involved at all? Because the museum there is unbelievable. Were you involved at all with coordinating some of that museum stuff? So the museum is all, um, as the racetrack itself, the Barber Museum is owned by the, the Barber Foundation. Okay. And so his employees, um, Mr. Barber's employees, uh, restore, collect, and exhibit all those, uh, all those vehicles, motorcycles, boats, cars. They've done a good job. Unbelievable collection. Yeah. Unbelievable collection. So back here in Brazelton, 
What's, uh, what's next for Rick Humphrey? Oh, wow. Um, heck, I can't figure out what's going on tomorrow. Uh, again, did, I mean, what part of this podcast did you miss that I've got three kids? Yeah, I understand. And, and a very supporting yeah. wife. Yeah. So, so knowing what, uh, so you may wake up in the morning with a plan and, uh, and before you get to work, it's already changed. But, you know, obviously, um, there's, a. There's a great opportunity at Road Atlanta, and there's a great opportunity to uh, uh, we have a young staff, so the opportunity to to mentor and and grow and and help them reach the next levels of their career, whether it be at Road Atlanta, whether it be in within our company NASCAR uh, company or uh, just in motorsports in general. So I would like for you know to be able to take advantage of that, be able to, uh, we've got some really, really sharp people. We've got a really great staff at, at, at Road Atlanta that I'd like to see uh, help them grow along the way. And then we also have a 50-plus-year-old facility right. that um, needs some attention. Um, and the Michelin Tower has been a great addition, opened in 2019, but also what the Michelin Tower deal Michelin Tower did is it made you recognize how how bad some of the other stuff looked or how much how much need uh, there is at some of the other places on the property. Um, so uh, great desire and great uh, great hope that uh, Jeff Lee, who I who I succeeded in 2020, certainly left the place better than he found it. Oh yeah, and yeah. I hope to be able to do the same thing. You know whether it's a whether it's a paved road that leads into a to a parking lot, or whether it's a paved a newly repaved racetrack, or whether it's a, a new restroom, you know something that that uh, when when I'm able to to retire, and again with three kids, it may not be anytime soon, <clears throat> but I, I hope that they say he left it better than than he found it because that seems to be a trend, and, and Jeff certainly did that, and I hope to be able to do the same thing. Mentoring. Who were your mentors along the way? Wow. Um, you know, I, I would say my, my, my dad certainly was someone to look up to. So he, seventh grade education and uh, ran a, a successful small construction company. Um, we never we never wanted for anything um, except not to do what he was doing. He, <laughs> he, he worked too hard. Uh, but, but he, uh, so he had a, I won't ever forget, I was a senior in high school and he said, uh, we were at breakfast. We have, we always go to breakfast on Sunday mornings as, as my mom and dad and, and, uh, my sister was already, had already moved on. And, uh, uh, my senior year, he said, uh, two, two things, same restaurant, credible message he delivered to me in seventh grade, uh, January of my seventh grade year. We were getting ready to have midterm exams. I was freaking out, man. I never had such a thing and I was worried. I was just going to not do good. So my dad, he said, uh, well, you could do what I did when, when exams came up when I was in seventh grade. I was like, please tell me, Daddy, what was it? What was it? I just quit. I was like, oh, I, can't, I can't do that. And then, uh, and then in, um, in, uh, when I was in 12th grade, he said, uh, he said you know, what are you going to do? What, what's your plans for, you know, you going to go to college? Most of those conversations happen with my mom because my dad, again, seventh grade educated, ran a construction company. Uh, you know, they left the house at 7 a.m., they would they would quit at six if the job was an hour away. He didn't get home till seven. You know, so so not a lot. I mean, uh, some of those conversations took place with my mom. My mom had an idea of what I was thinking, and so he asked me. He said, "What uh, 
He said, what are you going to do? And he said, I said, I think I'm going to go to college. He said, well, that's fine. He said, you know, if you want to go to college, the money's here. He said, but, but there's also a job here if you want it. Well, heck, I'd done that in the summer. I knew I didn't want that. But, <laughs> but he said, he said, but no, understand, he said, don't, don't go off to college. And we spend all this money for you to go to college and then come back and want to run a bulldozer. And I was like, okay. Cause he said, it didn't take that. It didn't take a college education for me to get one. Now, if I'd have come back and said, Hey, let's do this. He would, yeah. I'm sure he would have embraced it. Sure. But, but in my mind, that always came, that, that was always in my mind that, uh, that, that just wasn't going to be an option. Now, again, I was a little lazy and I didn't want to do it anyway because, again, he worked really hard. And he didn't, I never saw my dad invest or take chances with money. The way my dad made his money was he just worked a little bit harder. Sure. You know, yeah. just, you know, take on another job, hire another crew, buy another bulldog. You know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't a big operation, but it, 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 it did well. And uh, so I would say he was the one I looked up to just from a hard work standpoint because he was, because if there was anybody who could, who you could point to and say he got what he got because, he worked hard. I mean, he grew up in a family on a farm of had. He was one of eleven kids, and Ooh, they wow. didn't. They didn't. Uh, they didn't have a whole lot, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he and his brothers. Um, it's interesting because he and his brothers all. Uh, one one other brother was in construction. Another brother was in masonry, sheetrock. So they all found a trade, and, and only one of eleven graduated from high school. One of eleven, mm-hmm. and uh, but but all of them kind of found a trade, started their own companies, and did very well for themselves. And it was all because of hard work. So I would say he. He was probably the one that I, or is the one that I looked up to the most. Uh, as far as mentoring inside the, inside the industry, um, you know, I, I don't know that anyone really ever took me under their wing. Um, I'd say Grant Lynch at, at Talladega, uh, probably, uh, I worked for him the longest and he had the most impact and, and probably helped guide me. Uh, best message he ever delivered to me was, uh, when I was in PR, he, uh, he came to me, uh, I came to him. I hadn't been there very long. I came to him and I asked him a question. He said, uh, I forget what it was even about. Maybe an advertising question. He said, if I got to make those, if I got to make those decisions, why do I need you? And I was like, mm. he just opened my, he just opened the door for me. He just gave me this department to run. You there, know, there you go. I mean, so he just said, it's yours. And, and that was probably the most impactful message, uh, he ever, uh, he ever gave or anybody's ever given me, you know, just because, uh, I tend to treat employees that way and hope that they'll embrace the same, embrace that message the same way. And sure. I've kind of, if you gotta, if you, you're paid to do a job and, and you're going to make mistakes, yeah. but I'd rather make a mistake trying than, than not try yeah, and, and, and fail. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked everything from go-karts to F1 and in between. What racing series would you like to see come to Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta that they don't presently have and what would be feasible? Well, and, and the way we currently are structured right now, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, I'm not sure what, what else we could take on, but certainly anything inside the NASCAR family I think would be uh, a welcomed addition. Now, feasible, uh, certainly some things we would have to have to look at what we'd have to do. Barriers whether, and stuff like that. Whether it be barriers, whether it be parking, whether it be right. uh, just overall operational aspects. Um, so to think that to think that a, a NASCAR Cup race may come one day, that mm-hmm. may be a stretch, but to think that maybe some of the uh, 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 what you might call support series or some of the uh, secondary NASCAR series, um, like the Arca, something like that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know that that's as, that's as much of a stretch. Um, 
you know, are conversations in place and are we rolling down the path of a contract right now? No. Yeah, um, but right, but yeah. has it been mentioned in passing? I'll say yes. Um, but uh, there's so much going on right now in the NASCAR world, so many changes and so many things that are taking place that uh, uh, while, while it did get acknowledgement, it didn't get, it hasn't got the embracing of, of, you know, of leadership at this time. Right. We had you on the uh, radio show talking about the 24 hours, uh, the Rolex 24 hours at Daytona. And you mentioned that the field was 60-some cars. And I've, I've aggravated you with this question, I think, every time you've been on either the radio or in your first time being on the podcast. Why can't NASCAR do that? Why can't they turn the, the Cup Series, the uh, Xfinity Series, the Truck Series, and have them all on the track at the same time? Uh, the right track. The right track. That's a great, that's a great question. I, I, uh, I don't know that that's ever been thought of by anybody but you, bud. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> either, either you're a genius or something else. <laughs> yeah, well, all right. We'll, we'll go with the something else. But, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just thinking. When I, when I watch the cars at, at Matul Petit Le Mans, you know, come through that first turn, and you see the group. You see the LMP cars. You see the GT cars. You see the, you know, the Porsches, the Corvettes, and all of them. I'm thinking to me. I'm thinking to myself, hey, that could be, you know, that could be whoever in a stock car and a truck coming up behind them. And the skill required to, you know, balance us fast cars against the slower uh, cars, if you will. I, d- I just think it'd be interesting. Well, I don't know if you recall, uh, and I forget the, the time frame, but um, when NASCAR introduced the, I guess, the European qualifying uh on the road courses where they put them out there in packs. You would put, you would go out there maybe like at six at a time. I don't think they set the whole group out at once, but oh my gosh, that was, that was chaos. They felt like there was, why, how, why are you doing that? So it wasn't necessarily embraced. I'm not even sure if they still do it that way or not, but you know, it, NASCAR was always one car at a time and qualifying. But I remember Watkins Glen, they, they tried that at, at one time. And, and again, they, I don't know if they still do it or not, but I know it when they were doing that, that was, uh, putting multiple cars out there at a time where they were accustomed to single car. So could you imagine putting three different series out there where they're accustomed just to three series? Well, they could qualify separately and then, you know, just group them. I don't know. We're going off a, uh, we're going down a rabbit hole that, you know. It'd be like driving on 285. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Is there any burning question that you wanted to answer that we haven't asked about Rick Humphrey, uh, that your career the racetrack, racing in general. Wow, I can't. Uh, I think we have. I think we've just about covered it all. We have picked just your about covered it all. Wow, you gonna yeah. come? Are you gonna come back again? I don't know that I have anything to add. So, <laughs> so, so maybe we'll maybe, bring maybe, you back maybe, on the radio show. I'm probably that? yeah. That'd be that'd be fine. We okay. can always come up with something <laughs> on that. But this this podcast, I don't think so. It, funny story. Uh, so when I was in eighth grade, we had this lady. She taught careers class. Her name was Miss Morgan. And uh, if you got in trouble, you had to write your life story. Ooh. She, you know, and I, I, I'm ashamed to say, I got in got into trouble multiple times. <laughs> no. And so, so. Uh, so the second or third time um, I handed in my life story, I said, "Miss Morgan, what'd you think?" She said, well, "It was kind of like the last time." I said, "Well, I've only lived one life, so I guess what I'm saying is we're going to have to wait a while before I come back on the podcast because we've exhausted my my entire life here. So you're going to have to give me four or five years to, to add on." Wouldn't it be interesting if you could send a paper to her now? 
Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. She, yeah, it would be. Yeah. It would be. Because it's been fun. I mean, I, I can't, I can't complain. I mean, there's days, there's days where I joke, I say, uh, you know, people say, what do you do? And I'm just, I, I'm in the motorsports industry. What are you doing that? And I tell them, and they're like, wow, that must be interesting. I said, it, it is. It has been. It's been great. It's been, um, uh, you know, it's provided very, you know, provided for our family. And, uh, but I also say it seems like it's harder to get out than it was to get in. Because not that I've always looked, not, not that I've looked seriously to get out, but it's like after a while you're like, oh, he's just a racetrack promoter. What, what, you know, what, so much more to it. Yeah, and there, there is, but again, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even begin to think about, you know, what you might be able to do outside. I guess I'm kind of here for a while. <laughs> I, I've already been here for a while, but I guess I'm going to be here a little longer. Good stuff. Rick Humphrey from Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta. Uh, can't wait to hear some more stories. Uh, we'll give you another few years. <laughs> then we'll have you back. You good with that? Very good. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here, Bud's Garage, uh, the Bud's Garage Overdrive the podcast. My pleasure. We got some big wiener news. I'm going to turn it over to Bill Wilson. Go for it, Bill. Well, the uh, Oscar Mayer folk have reversed course on the Wienermobile. The Wienermobile is once again the Wienermobile. Thank God. It was God. the Frankmobile, right? Yes. So, uh-huh. people didn't relish that change, apparently. No, no they did not. You want me to continue? Huh? Now they've been trying to catch up on the bad publicity. <laughs> they couldn't, couldn't pass muster with the fans. Oh, and God. we have more worst jokes uh, coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking maybe Kraft Foods saw the whole uh, Bud Light thing and came to their senses. I'm hoping so. Yeah. I don't know what, you know, there was a lot of backstory on why they changed, just that mm. we did. And people embraced it, so you know. I so think really that's a good idea. Really important things, you know. You know, we don't care who, who's president. We're worried about the wiener model. Right, exactly. <laughs> ah, priorities, priorities, priorities. Well, the real question is, when do they make the wiener mobile all electric? Please. Oh. Wow. Wow. Let's you know, make not. a rotisserie. Type yeah, deal right. Hot dogs make spin it roll. around as you go down. Mm-hmm. Right. But they're great bun warmers on it. Oh, good. <laughs> Enough. We got to move on here. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you're uh, if you've got a classic muscle car and you're trying to restore it, the only place you need to go is Year One, the muscle car experts in Cornelia, Georgia, who provide our podcast. They do. Yes, they are part of this. They're part of this podcast, and they're also part of the podcast for Bud Scrods, the radio show. Mm-hmm. And uh, we appreciate them being on every week with us. Now, if you go to the webpage, they have a spot right here. You see it? It's on the oh, phone. Yeah. I Sign see. up for savings. You have mm-hmm. a chance to get $250. Wow. And you have discounts are available to you on the page. Of course, right. if you put in Bud 20, you get a 20% discount for listening to this podcast. See? And when you go to this sign up for savings link, they will put you on the email blast. Okay. So, you know, we try to pick a, a product every week that we're talking about, mm-hmm. but this gives you a whole list of products every week it goes out. Right. And you can keep track of what's on sale and uh, wh- how long it's available and what's, you know, what's uh, eligible for discounts. Sure. Free shipping, things like that. Mm-hmm. And much more information. Yeah, that's good. So, check them out at yearone.com in Cornelia. And we're going to keep you posted when the showroom opens up because it'll be worth driving to Georgia to see what they got cooking in the showroom. Year1.com.
All right, Tim. Time for some thank yous. Okay. I'd like to thank Butch Miller for stopping in and talking traffic stuff with us. Mm-hmm. Um, want to thank Karen Nowakowski from Lanier Technical College for telling us about her program and the opportunities that abound at technical colleges for sure. Jacobs Media for the studios. Uh, Bill Wilson. DJ Bill Wilson. Tell us about it, DJ. Thank you, Bud. I do uh, DJ trivia games around the country. I produce the games. We uh, give you clues on DJTrivia.com, and I host games in North Georgia. Check DJTrivia.com for a game near you. And he, he keeps us sounding good. Oh, yes, he Can't does. Can't do anything about our mouths not working, but he keeps us sounding good. Right. Concept one, pulley systems, best ones on the planet. Mm-hmm. Year one, classic muscle car restoration folks. Uh, you know, if you're building a car, muscle car, they're the only folks you need to reach out to, and they can help you with anything you need. Rick Humphrey from Michelin Raceway, Road Atlanta. He's going to be back again to tell us even more tales of uh, what goes on at the racetrack. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. If you want to catch us on terrestrial radio, Bud's Garage, AM 550 and FM 102.9, WDUN, and you can go to Access WDUN, which is a free app, and listen to a whole bunch of great shows that are on the station every day and every uh, every weekend. Sure. Good stuff. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us here on uh, whatever podcast platform you're on. And we'll be back next week with even more informative automotive buffoonery. Have a great week, Tim. Okay, you too, bud. All right, man. And all of you folks. Mm-hmm.